We're coming to the end of this series as we've been thinking about exploring different encounters with Jesus. I believe after this we'll, we'll do a study of uh, Christian growth in our sermons on Sunday morning. My hope is as we've encountered Jesus in these stories, we've discovered a real person, somebody who really existed. He was, he's not just this character or this collection of teachings, but he's uncompromising in his priorities, his desires. He's also full of grace and mercy. And, and I hope we've seen some of those priorities and beliefs, what he cares about. Of course, the repeated emphasis, which we'll see again today, on spiritual rather than physical, even as he's using physical lessons, physical means of teaching this, his emphasis is always on the spiritual, what matters eternally. Totally unwilling to compromise, to make things easy, to soften the truth. We've seen that over and over again in his teaching about what he expects of people. But of course, he's entirely dedicated to a mission that is motivated by love and mercy. That's ultimately why he came. So as we've encountered Jesus, hopefully two effects have come to pass. For the lost, a desire to follow Jesus. That's what encountering Jesus should do. I encounter him, I want to follow him, I want to become his disciple. For disciples, as we've encountered Jesus, hopefully for those of us who are already disciples, we've seen behavior to emulate, a pattern, a blueprint to follow in becoming like him. And so today's encounter, as we think about the washing of the feet, serves this purpose, right? To inspire those to follow him who have not, but in those who follow, an example to emulate, something to do as we, uh, as we are his disciples. John 13, 1 through 4. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. A lot of buildup in the context of the story. We should note the first verse here really is the preamble for the rest of the book of John. There is a, a transition point here in John chapter 13 from the, the expansive ministry. We're about to enter into the last part of his life. He knows the end is coming. And so we're seeing some things, of course, that follow as Jesus' final acts on earth. And why that matters, why that's relevant. When we know we only have a certain time left, it heightens a clarity of purpose. What matters most? If I know that I'm going to die in a week, what am I going to spend that week doing? It's going to be the things that matter most to me, right? Jesus knows the end is coming. What does he do with the end? The last bit of teaching that he has available to him on this earth, what does that mean for us? During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back from God, rose from supper. A lot of emphasis on the knowledge of Jesus here, right? He knows he's about to go. He's, this is going to be the it. Uh, he knows that God has given him all things into his hands. He knows that his time of victory and also suffering is coming. What example is he going to leave for us, for his disciples? Verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Of course, the theme of looking to the future is pretty consistent in John's gospel. It's, it's not impossible to separate the future context that is to come from the teaching of Jesus. His behavior is somewhat incoherent in a lot of stories in the gospels. 
outside of this context, that the death, burial, and resurrection is coming, the ascension is going to happen, the transition of the covenant from one to another, we've been talking about in our study of Hebrews on Saturday morning in the men's study. A lot of the things that Jesus does only make sense in light of what's coming in the future. What I am doing now, you do not understand, but you will. It'll make sense. Don't worry about it. Now, let's talk a bit about foot washing in the ancient context. Of course, the uh, invention of the shoe was an underrated invention in the history of the world. Great invention, the shoe, the modern shoe as we think about it. It's a, they've, you know, boots and, and different footwear have existed for a long time. But of course, what really happened is the ease of manufacturing and production. For much of history, shoes were prohibitively expensive. Because, you know, somebody had to make it by hand. Materials were expensive. So most people, they, to reduce material costs, to reduce the price, they wore sandals of some variety. Not in the sandals that we're thinking about, you know, the, the, the fancy sandals that we have today. Don't think about that. But, you know, we're thinking about just a, a piece of material to give some barrier between your foot and the ground. Attached to your foot, very bare bones, very basically. Which means if you're walking everywhere, here's another underrated thing. Cars have really eliminated this. We got shoes, we got cars. If you're walking everywhere and you're walking in sandals, guess what happens? Your feet get really dirty, right? Especially if we're thinking about the context of Israel, the weather, the climate, the, the situation. Uh, not a ton of grass everywhere, right? We're talking about dusty roads. We're talking about just dirt everywhere, dirt and grime. And so it was not uncommon, but a, a typical thing as you have guests or visitors into your home to provide some measure of foot washing, cleanliness for your feet because your feet got so grimy and dirty, right? That was a thing that was, was needed in that context. But of course, as you think about the context of servants versus the householder, a house owner, that was typically a job for a servant, right? It wasn't the, the owner of the home, he's not gonna do that. That's not something he would do. The servants will do that, or somebody lower down on the socioeconomic ladder is going to provide that function. A necessary function, but one that is not very pleasant, right? Washing feet, not very pleasant. Uh, and, and you think about, okay, I thought about doing this example and just having and washing someone's foot, but it wouldn't be the same. Right? Because they, you know, they, they shower in the morning, they put their socks on, they put their shoes on, they come to, to church. It's not anywhere close. It's not even close to the similar level of griminess, right? I could, could get a sandbox out there and have them walk in first. That would be more like it. That's what we're talking about. We talk about foot washing. And so Peter, his reaction here, of course, very, very understandably Peter, this is a job for servants. Lord, what are you doing? You're the Lord. You're the master. You're the one in charge. Why are you washing my feet? That's not something for you to do. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. That's not for you to do. That's for me. That, I should be washing yours. And of course, Jesus answers him in this, as we think about the example and the spiritual truth, right? Turning things around as they should have been, as, as people expect them to be, turning them around into a deeper spiritual thing. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, up until this point, there's no indication that Jesus was in the habit of washing people's feet. And in fact, I think we can, we can assume that based on Peter's reaction here, right? This is not something Jesus was in the habit of doing. When he says, if I wash you, you have no share with me. The question, of course, as we think about this, 
the physical example here, not something that Jesus was in the habit of doing. It's not like Jesus has established this as a precedent. This is an unusual thing. And so Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay, I have to, you got to do this for me to have share with you. Well, let's just go the whole way. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Of course, there's a lot of emphasis in this story about Judas. He knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you are clean. Peter, so often as he does, swings between two extremes. We're going to do all or nothing. How dare you wash my feet? You're the master here. You can't do that. Jesus says, I have to do this if you want to be a part of me. Okay, fine. Let's wash everything. But he's missing the point. There's a, there's a deeper point here that Peter is missing, as people in the gospel so often do, missing the, the deeper spiritual connection here for the physical application. Now, commendably, we can commend Peter here because his action, his behavior, demonstrates what he really wants, most of all, is to have a share in Jesus. He wants to share in Jesus. That's what he desires. And, and of course, that's borne out by, Lord, why are you washing? You're the Lord. You're the master. You're the teacher. But of course, when he realizes, oh, if I'm going to share in Jesus, this is what I have to do, then let's go the whole way. So it is commendable. And there's a couple of ways to go with the imagery of this act of service here. Jesus is going to expound on some symbolism in a minute. We're not going to focus on those things that are going to come up later. But if I wash you, you have no share with me. Remember, what does Jesus say? What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but later you will. It'll make sense later. It'll become clear. And of course, the, the metaphor becomes clear in the post-ascension context, as Jesus knew it would. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he lists this whole list of sins. And such were some of you. You were, you were, you were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were people who were full of so much sin, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hebrews 10 says it this way, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The washing of the Holy Spirit. Of course, when you think about immersion, baptism, the removal of dirt from the flesh, but of course, the Hebrew writer says in, in several places in the New Testament, it's not about the removal of dirt from the flesh. That's not what Jesus' main point here is. It's not about removing the dirt from their feet, but it's a physical example of a spiritual truth. Jesus has to wash you of your sin if you want to participate in him. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. A lot has been written, if you look at commentaries on this, these verses, a lot has been written about the phrase, except for his feet. And, and in the context of the wider New Testament teaching, we have a couple of ideas here. Could be an allusion to the act, one-time act of immersion, Christian immersion. But of course, that's followed continually with seeking repentance, seeking renewal. The idea that I'm immersed into Christ one time and then I'm done, I keep sinning. I keep having this spiritual grime and dirt. I need the continual washing not that I'm going to be immersed over and over again. That's not going to happen. That's happening one time. But I am continually in the process of repentance and forgiveness. Maybe that's what he means here. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. There's a, an overall significant event at the beginning that washes us pure. But then there's a continual need for Jesus to wash and cleanse us. Or perhaps this is a rebuke at Peter. Peter, you're missing the point. He says, okay, if I need to be washed by you to have a part in you, why don't you wash my hands and my head? We'll do the whole deal. 
But Peter, of course, is missing the point. Maybe there's a gentle rebuke here. Don't lose the greater message here. Don't lose the meaning of what I'm doing by getting so caught up in the physical act. The one who is fully bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. I'm doing a very specific thing to teach a very specific lesson. Don't miss what we're doing here. And of course, not all of you are clean. For us, in our context, what becomes clear after the ascension Many follow Jesus, and in, in Judas' case, literally following him from place to place, without being washed by him. Many claim to do his will, to be his disciple, to follow after his pattern of behavior. Many claim that, but they have not been washed by him. And that's certainly the case today, isn't it? People who are claiming to follow Jesus, but have not been cleansed by him. Not all who claim to follow are clean. And so for the lost, we're thinking about the dual nature of these encounters, right? Lessons for the lost, lessons for the disciples. For the lost, the question is simple, very simple. Have you been washed by Jesus? It's a, it's a yes or no, right? Have you been fully cleansed in his blood, his immersion that he's commanded us to do? Or not? Very simple. But of course, there's a deeper lesson for the disciples as well as we go into the second part of this. John 13, 12. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? And of course, the implied answer is what? No, he's already said it. You don't get it yet. You'll get it later. Do you understand what I've done for you? Of course you don't, but I'm going to tell you. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, that is, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who has authority. I'm the one we should be following. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, again, we consider the broad lesson versus the specific example here. Remembering the context of foot washing in the first century, I suspect the command is, well, for them perhaps, to not necessarily to wash each other's feet, but to serve each other in ways that are messy and uncomfortable. Right? To serve each other in ways that we would think, well, that's not my job. That's a job for someone else. That's a job for somebody who is of, and of course, if we're thinking arrogantly and pro, pro, uh, with pride and we have the wrong idea, that's for the servants, those who are of lower status. That's not for me. That's for somebody else to do. The point that Jesus is making here, serving others is a job for who? Well, it's for everybody. Everybody who would be his disciple. And not just serving in ways that are comfortable, ways that are nice, serving in ways that are difficult and messy and hard. It's not just reserved for the lower status. It's reserved for anyone who would follow after Jesus. Jesus, Lord and Master, Lord of all creation, Lord of the entire universe, stooped to give this example. I'm going to do this thing to show you there is no service too low for you. If I'm going to do it, you're going to do it. Hopefully, you're going to do it. The command, not necessarily just about the washing of feet, but about serving each other. The broader point, of course, if Jesus served others, what should that tell us about our own responsibility? And I would suggest the main enemy of this story is pride. Pride is the thing that will keep us not just from serving others, but in 
keeping us from serving others, pride will keep us from being washed by him. That I'm too good for this job or this job or this job. That that job is, is beneath me. There is no act of service beneath you. Because there is no act of service that was beneath Jesus. And if he, our Lord and Master, would serve in the ways that we think, ah, that's not very good, I don't want to do that. Who am I to say that's not for me? Pride is the thing that will keep us from Jesus. And that's what he's attempting to get them to understand in this story. Of course, they'll understand it more later. And so we come to John 13, 17, the, the sort of summation of this story. But in some ways, I think perhaps the most concise summary of discipleship as a whole. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Really, maybe the most concise summary of discipleship in the entire Bible. What it means to follow Jesus. Well, if you know these things, following Jesus is conditional on knowing him and his teaching. Right? That's the beginning of uh, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It begins with knowledge, right? It begins with understanding who Jesus is. It begins with understanding what he wants, what he desires, who he is, what he did. If you know, that's the first condition, blessed are you. This is the same construction, of course, as the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who, whatever you want to put in the, in the blank, in the Beatitudes. The same construction here, uh, one of two times in John that John uses this construction of language. There is a benefit to following Jesus, right? There's, there's some purpose here, some other thing that we're looking for. But blessed are you, why? If you do them. Knowing's not enough. It must be followed by action. And really the question, are you doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing? Now, if you don't know you're supposed to be doing them, of course we would understand you're not doing them. That's very obvious. We could go one level back. What are you doing to increase your knowledge of Jesus' will? Right? We talked about this in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a transformation that is hopefully continually taking place that I am learning more and growing and learning what God wants and I'm doing those things. Hopefully, if I know them, I'm doing them. Because what becomes a problem, of course, is I know them and I think that's good enough. I don't have to do them. I just know them. That's great. But blessed are you if you do them. The blessing is contingent upon the following of the example. And so, for those of us who are already following Jesus, an equally simple question, right? For those who are lost, have you been washed by Jesus? For those who supposedly have been cleansed, equally simple question, what prevents you from emulating his example? Why are you not doing the things he did? There are really fundamentally only two reasons why you wouldn't be doing what Jesus said. Number one is ignorance, as we've addressed, and number two is pride. That I think what I want trumps the example of Jesus. And in that way, that's how pride prevents us from being washed by him. Maybe we were cleansed totally in immersion. Maybe that happened, but then we, we rose from immersion and now we just do the same things we always did. What was the point? You, you were cleansed, hopefully, from your old way of living to start doing some new things, to start living a different way. What is it that's keeping you from acting upon the example of Jesus? 
We all accumulate spiritual dirt over the course of our journey. And of course, this is what Jesus is looking forward to in the future. What I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will. Over the course of our journey, certainly the dirt of sin, right? A lot of language in the Psalms about being stained red, this crimson stain that we have. We have a couple songs that we sing in that vein. It comes from Psalms or some of the prophets. That is certainly a dirt that we accumulate in our journey of life, the dirt of sin. But there's other things too. The stress and the trauma of difficult circumstances, misunderstandings, ignorance. We accumulate a lot of dirt and grime. It's not just sin, but the circumstances of our lives that conspire ultimately to keep us from Jesus because of any number of things. When we encounter Jesus then, Maybe it's the first time you encounter him when you're first taught the gospel. But also continually, when we encounter new information, we realize new things, our relationship with Jesus deepens and grows. We need to be washed, washed of that dirt. Not just sin, although that is a removal of sin, is important, but also misunderstandings, trauma, stress, difficulty, that we're giving those things over to Jesus as well. That I'm giving him all of my burdens, casting my cares upon him because he cares for us. It is non-negotiable. The washing isn't one and done. It is continual. And again, learning from Jesus, if I do not wash you, what? You have no part in me. But having a part in Jesus doesn't just mean being washed by him. It means emulating his servant attitude. Remember what he says, a servant is not greater than his master. The, the dig at that, the implication of that, he is the master. And if he's willing to serve, well, certainly I should be willing to serve because I'm not the master. I'm inferior. I'm subservient to him. I'm going to follow his example. And ultimately, we're thinking about this in our own lives. What is your pride preventing you from doing? I don't know. Again, that's a question for you to consider, to examine yourself, hopefully honestly, with brutal self-honesty, one of the hardest things to do in life is to be brutally self-honest with, our, with ourselves about our pride and our failings. What is it in your life, service that you could give that for one reason or another, you're not? And if you're not willing to follow the example of Jesus, what does that say about sharing in him? The blessing, of course, is tied to our willingness to participate in his service. As we conclude, we're going to sing, Oh, to be like thee. A great song to end this lesson on, right? Because that's what we're going for, to be like him. That's what we're inviting you to do today. Hopefully, if it's the first step in your journey, to be immersed in him, to repent, to confess, to take that first step in being like him. But the invitation, of course, is open to all, because we all have ways to be like Jesus that we're not doing, right? Ways to improve and grow.